Good morning. Our reading is from Luke 1, 46 to 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him, and from, from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abram and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of God. Thank you, Francis, for the Bible reading. Let's bow our head and pray as we come to God's word. Lord God, we thank you that you are God. You created us. In spite of our rebellion against you, you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come into this world to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you that only through Jesus we can be in a relationship with you. So we pray that you will help us to see Jesus for who he is, as our only Lord and Savior. And as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you will speak to us. We pray that your spirit will be at work in our heart and our mind, showing us Jesus for who he is so that we can bow down in worship before him. And as your servant, Lord, I pray that the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable to you. O oh God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So we continue with our series uh, titled, He Has Done Great Things. And this morning we'll be looking at this passage that Francis read for us, which is Luke chapter 1 from verse 46 all the way to 56. We normally deal with such a passage around Christmas because it falls under the birth narrative of Jesus. And my intention this morning is not to bring Christmas in August. As much as I would have wanted, I don't think I can pull that one out. All I want us to do this morning is to learn from Mary's response to the great news that she'll be the mother of Jesus. What can we learn from her, from her response? What can we learn about God? But before we look at Mary's response, let's try and understand what has been happening before she gave this response, before she sang this song that was read for us. Here is a teenager girl, Mary, probably 12 or 13 years old. She is betrothed to Joseph. That's how young Mary was. And if you are a teenager here this morning, you need to understand that this was part of the Jewish culture back then. A young lady... 12, 13 years old, could be given for marriage. 
girls could get engaged at that age. So it is to the teenager girl that Mary is, 13 years old or 12, that the angel Gabriel will appear to. And as you can imagine, this must have been quite an experience for Mary, as young as she was. First of all, the encounter with the angel. We don't know all the details, how that happened. We just know that the angel Gabriel appeared to him, to her, sorry. She is young. She hasn't seen an angel. How did the angel look like? We don't know. Maybe he was shining. Maybe he was handsome like your preacher this morning. I'm joking. (laughs) All I know is that when I was young, they used to tell me I was cute. But then age, (laughs) age happened. So this is her first encounter with the angel. She doesn't know who, how the angel looks like, but the, the angel is there in front of her. And this angel drops this bombshell to her, to Mary, that you will conceive. She is a young girl. She is virgin. She never knew a man. How will this happen? As if that was not enough, your conception will be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wait for a minute. What does this mean? Mary would have asked. This is getting complicated. So you can see Luke as well as Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew, they are very unapologetic about it. The conception was done without human intervention. And of course, this explains why Jesus was 100% God and 100% human being. He was sinless because he was not born of, of a man as the author. And that's why he qualified to die for our sins, because he never sinned. He never knew sin. So how do you digest this Mary? Now put yourself into Mary's shoes, this young teenager girl who has just got this news that she will conceive, she will be the mother of the Lord. This would have been quite an experience for Mary. And especially for the first time, she never saw an angel before. You see, although God in his humility chose the most humble way to come to us, the events that surround the coming are still out of the normal. They are still extraordinary. It's not something that we see day to day. We still see the extraordinary hand of God into the birth of Jesus. And this should not surprise us because this story is not about Mary. This story is not about how special Mary is. This story is about God. There was nothing special about Mary apart from her finding grace or favor before the Lord to be the mother of Jesus. She was young, she was poor. She had all the characteristics that all the people of her day would make her seen as unusable by God for any major task. So when people would have looked at Mary, young, from a poor background, from Nazareth, they would have said, well, anyone else except Mary. But look, 
in verse in chapter 1 verse 30 he says Mary found favor with God which just means Mary found grace but if we put it in the right way it's the grace that found Mary Mary was the recipient of God's grace just like any other believer so the grace of God found her where she was she is not a giver of grace. She can't give any grace. But you can see her response to when God found her was that of obedience. She obeyed to the message that was given to her. And after the angel has explained to Mary what God is doing through her, although on a human point of view it looked beyond our understanding, Mary did not show any reluctance. Her response was obedience, which came into four stages. If you look back, Luke chapter 1, verse 39. First of all, she was troubled at the greeting of the angel, as one would have expected. She was troubled. And then still in verse 29, she tried to discern what sort of greeting this was. So she's trying to use her mind then. Third stage, she now tries to investigate, verse 34, just like, like an innocent person would have done. And you see in her investigation, there is no suggestion of, of unbelief from her. Like Zechariah, earlier on, who doubted the message of the angel and who became mute. And finally, verse 38 her answer was that of submission. She shows total confidence to God. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So she shows obedience to God's word, to the message that she, that she receives. And this is an example of true discipleship. It's submission to God and his promise. And this shows Mary's heroism. As young as she was, as poor as she was, she submitted to God's word, to the message that she got. Her answer was the kind of, Lord, I am all yours. Lose, uh, use me as you please. I don't, I don't understand all these things, but I surrender to you. Although it was a great privilege for her to be the virgin mother of the Son of God, you and I know that, humanly speaking, it was not an easy call for Mary. Being pregnant before marriage in an ancient Jewish culture, traditional as it was, this will definitely bring disregard, this will definitely bring shame, because she will be seen in the society as immoral. You see, God's blessing on Mary, the honor of being the mother of the Messiah, would lead to so much pain for Mary. Her peers will ridicule her. They will laugh at her. Her fiancé, Joseph, would come close to leaving her. If not married by the father of the child, 
she will remain unmarried for her entire life. And chances are her own father would disown her, would reject her, and she would be forced into begging prostitution in order to earn her own living. So it was not as easy as we would, we think, or when we think of Mary, we just see that privilege that she was, and we think it was easy. As if that was not enough, now if she has to tell the people that she's pregnant, by the power of the Holy Spirit, people will just say, she's now gone crazy. How do you make sense of that? And yet, without knowing how everything will unfold, all the risks involved for her as a person, she said, Lord, I am all yours. She obeyed God. Future will even be more painful. Mary will learn the hard way what it means to be the mother of the Lord Jesus. You remember many times, many occasions, her own son, Jesus, rebuked her because she never understood what was her son's mission as the son was fulfilling his mission. One time, Mark 3.31, Jesus' brother and the mother, they went to see him. They told him, your siblings are looking for him. And then Jesus says, who is my mother? Who is my brothers? They are those who listen to God's word. And you can imagine how Mary and the siblings would have felt. Later on, Mary will be the one sitting there seeing her own son being crucified on that cross because of our sins. Your own son being crucified, you are powerless, there's nothing you can do. So she went through that. So you see, as much as it's God's favor to Mary, what we learn here is that God's favor does not automatically bring instant success or fame, as we are all tempted to think. The opposite seems quite to be true. And this is for us, even as believers. We are Christian, we are called to follow Jesus. It does not mean that it's it's life of fame. It's a tough life being a disciple of Jesus. You see, even for us today, unlike Mary, we are more concerned by what people around us think about us or say about us, more especially when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ, than we are concerned about our stand before God. We are concerned about what people will say around us more than we are concerned about our obedience to Jesus. Who do we try to please first? God or the people around us? Of course, God is not asking us, he's not asking you today what he asked Mary. Maybe he's asking you to stand firm in him in an environment that is hostile to Jesus, an environment that disregards you because of the name of Jesus. Maybe he's asking you to be an ambassador where he has placed you and you know that this environment is hostile to mentioning the name of Jesus. How far will you go in your obedience to God 
when it puts your reputation into trash? How far will I go in my obedience to God when my name is being disregarded? Will I say, Lord, give me time. Let me sort this issue out first with these people and then I will obey you. Or will I, like Mary, say, Lord, I don't care what they say about me because I obey you. I am all yours. Use me even more as you please. My obedience to God should not be dependent on me knowing what is the outcome of what he is asking me. This is what we learn from Mary. So my obedience to God is not dependent on me knowing what will be the outcome or what is ahead of me. And this is not an easy call, an easy task, especially for us today. We live in a world where when we take some decisions, we want to know everything that comes after that to the end. That's who we are. That's how we are wired. But we need to be reminded that my decision to follow God will not be dependent whether I know what is at the end, because most of the time we don't know. And when we think that this is how it's going to look like, we say we are set for disappointment. Back to chapter 1, verse 39. After the encounter with the angel Gabriel, the teenager girl Mary will embark on a journey of about 80 kilometers to go and see her old cousin Elizabeth. She was a kinswoman. This is a journey that is estimated for four days' walk. That's the journey that the teenager girl Mary took to go and see her old cousin. It was a dangerous journey, but she took that journey. Why did she go? Well, she went to see her older cousin because she needed someone to talk about what has happened to her. It was so much overwhelming, all these things that has happened to her as a teenager girl. There's a lot to digest. And just as she enters the house, the Bible says that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb. And this is what she says, filled with the Holy Spirit, in verse 42. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Elizabeth spoke to Mary, and she was filled by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through her. And this is what Mary needed to hear 
to help her make sense of all that has been happening in her life, all that the angel Gabriel told her. So Elizabeth's greeting must strengthen her faith. It was just like a confirmation. Because she, before she even opened her mouth, Elizabeth started talking. She received a confirmation from Elizabeth. And now it seems as if the great news of her being the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ is now sinking in properly into her. You can imagine now, it was a great moment of joy between the cousins as they are talking, the two mothers-to-be, because Elizabeth was also pregnant and she would give birth to John the Baptist. And this is the joy of the gospel. This is what God has done through these women. God is fulfilling his plan through them. And you can imagine in the house, the house basically was there just for the two women. You remember that by this time, Zechariah was already muted because he doubted God's word. So it was a peaceful house. There was no, uh, you ladies are making noise. No, no, no. It was just ladies talking about what the Lord has done and being happy. One thing you will notice, that both the angel Gabriel and Elizabeth never said in their message that Mary could intercede for us before Jesus. They just said that she found favor before the Lord. She was blessed. What we read in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So we read that Mary was a true believer in God. And this is how we are meant to see Mary. As a true believer, a disciple. Who is a true believer? A true believer is someone who has received from God his word and his promise as it is written to us in the Bible and holds it in faith. That's a true believer. You receive God's word, God's promise, God's message. You hold it in faith. This is what we read. This is what Mary did. And after this interaction with Elizabeth, what follows is the song of praise that Mary sings, which is our passage this morning. Mary sings this song as a true believer, someone who heard the word of God and kept it. She is exalting God. She is magnifying God. She is expressing the greatness of God from her heart. What God has done for her. How great is this God? She is magnifying Him. This song is known as the Magnificat, which comes from that word, she magnifies the Lord. She sings of God's greatness. Every sentence from this song, every line 
if you go through it, you will see that Mary is singing of God's greatness. God is the subject. It's not about Mary, it's about God. In fact, in verse 47, Mary said that her soul rejoices in God, her Savior. Mary also needs a Savior like the rest of us. She was not sinless. Remember, grace found her. She is not a savior. She is not anyone's savior. She is a lady who found favor before the Lord. God's grace found her. So what does this song teach us about God? This song that Mary sang. We will see that under two headings. First of all, Mary's personal reasons to magnify God. That will be the first heading. And the second will be Mary's prophetic reason to magnify God. So the first one is Mary's personal reasons. Second, Mary's prophetic reason. Let's look at the first one, Mary's personal reasons to magnify God. And we find that from verse 46 all the way to verse 50. So Mary magnifies the Lord, or we can say, Mary makes God look great from her soul, from her heart, because, one, verse 48a, God has looked down upon Mary. God has paid attention to this young village girl. God has seen her. God has met her in a humility. He looked in her humble estate. She was lowly in society. Mary was living in Nazareth. And people during that time, they disregarded Nazareth. Even the Jewish people, they disregarded Nazareth as a place. You remember in John chapter 1 and verse 43, when Jesus was calling his disciples, after he called uh, Philip, Philip went to find Nathaniel, and he told Nathaniel, hey, we have found the one whom Moses in the law spoke about and the prophet spoke about. This is Jesus of Nazareth. You remember the response that uh, Nathaniel gave in verse 46? Can anything good Come out of Nazareth. That was Nathaniel's response. So Mary was from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? So Mary is praising God because God has looked upon her in her humble estate, being a village girl from Nazareth. God has paid attention to her. So this is a song that expresses a teenager who has discovered God's amazing grace. You can see that this God was the subject of Mary's singing. Mary is praising God. 
In a humble estate, Mary could could have asked herself, being a teenager girl, young as she was, from a poor background, living in Nazareth, she could have asked herself a lot of questions before the Lord uh, found her. Questions like, does anybody understand how I feel being here in Nazareth as I am? Does anybody pay attention to my feeling? Does anyone care? Does anyone understand me? And these questions are not just for Mary then. These are the questions that even today teenagers will ask. If you're a parent of teenagers, maybe you have heard some of these questions. Do I count for anything? Is there anyone who take who takes notice of my feeling? Am I worth something? Boys and girls as teenagers they will ask these questions. But again, this is not just for teenagers. This is even for adults. When we go through the ups and downs of life in general, even as Christians, at times we ask similar questions. Does anyone care about me, about my feeling? Does anyone pay attention to me? Does anyone try to understand what is going on in my life? Mary reminds us that this song is about the God who has looked upon her humble estate. And this God has been gracious to her. So the answer is clearly someone cares when you ask all those questions. Someone pays attention. Someone understands what you are going through. You see, God reached to Mary in a humble estate and make her great, as we'll see later. She will be called blessed by all the generations. So God met her in a humble estate. Someone cares, someone understands. And this is even true to us today. How do we know that God cares? Because the son to whom Mary gave birth, Jesus, told us when he left that he didn't leave us alone. So when we ask all those questions, we must remember that the Spirit of God is with us, dwells within us. So someone cares. So if you are a teenager here this morning, if you have shed those tears thinking no one cares for you because of what you are going through, I want to remind you that Jesus cares for you. Every time you pray, he listens. He knows you by name. He cares for you. Fellow adults, when you go through those ups and downs of life, 
Even in your spiritual life, when things are going up and down, know that God cares. He sees you. He is there with you. And this is what Gareth also reminded us last week, that God works in the shadows. Not all the time we'll see the hands of God, but he is at work. We saw how he worked in the life of Esther and how he delivered his people. So God has seen Mary in a humble state. What is the second reason, verse 48b? The future generation will call her blessed. And this future generation includes us today. We call Mary blessed because God saw her in a humble state. She found favor before God to be the mother of our Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. No woman has ever received a greater honor like Mary did to be the mother of the Savior. And what is the third reason, verse 49 and 50? She has seen God's power, God's holiness and mercy. As to God's power, she sees herself as insignificant, but that did not matter because the one who is mighty is at work. So it's not about you, how insignificant is she yourself. It's about the one who is at work through you. God can use each one of us. As to God's holiness, she sings the holiness of God's name. Not only God's name is a holy name and must be used with respect, but also God is holy. He is set apart. He is unlike us. We are sinful people. God is not sinful. God is holy. And as to God's mercy, she sings that In every generation, God's mercy is certain to those who fear him, to those who revere him. What a great song. What great reason she has to sing this song. As she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because of what the Lord has done. So these are the three personal reasons for Mary to magnify the Lord. He has seen her in a humble estate. Future generation will call her blessed. And she has seen God's power, holiness, and mercy. Now let's look at the prophetic reason for Mary to magnify the Lord. We read this from verse 51 all the way to the end, to 55. As Mary continues to sing, as she continues to magnify the Lord, she turns to God's mighty acts of salvation. She sings of what God has done in the past, but looking for future. This is what we see in verse 51 to 53. So she looks in what God has done in the past, but she's talking about God, what God will do in the future, about what the Messiah will accomplish. How do you see that? You can see even the word that you use, the verb from verse 51. They are all in the past. He's, he showed strength. 
He scattered the proud. He brought down. He exalted those of humble estate. He filled the hungry. So Mary speaks in the past tense, but certain that this is going to happen in the future. This is what God is going to accomplish. And one can see that this is no longer directed to Mary in particular, like it was in verse 46 to 50. But these divine actions appear against the forces that work in opposition to God's purpose. God is bringing about revolution. The Messiah who is ushering God's kingdom is going to reverse everything. He's going to shake the ground. These forces against God's purposes are moral. As we can see there in verse 51 and 52, scatter the proud in their imagination. So these are people who are arrogant. These are people who think highly about themselves. These are people who believe that they are on the top of everything. But God is going to scatter the proud. And one of example will be what Gareth mentioned last week, Haman, who thought he has been at the top of his game. He wanted to finish all the people of Israel. But we saw what happened to him. At the end, he's the one who was killed. So he's going to scatter the harm, uh, the, the proud. These forces in opposition are also political. The mighty are brought down and the humble are exalted. As we can read there. Finally, there are also social, these forces that are, that oppose the purpose of God. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. And this goes beyond just the physical hunger, and it expresses the want in general that God's people will express. So physical and spiritual hunger. So the coming of the kingdom of God should bring about a political, a social revolution. This is what God is saying through Mary, that this is what the Messiah is going to bring. This is what God is going to accomplish through him. Bringing the ordinary life of mankind into line with the will of God. So it's not us living our own lives as we wish. It's us living our lives as God wants us to live it, according to his will. As one author says, God is at work in individuals like Mary. He's at work in individuals' lives. And in the social order as a whole, in order to subvert the very structure of society that supports and perpetuates such distinctions. God is busy ushering his kingdom. And this starts with this prophetic scene, words that Mary is singing about how that will happen, what God is going to fulfill. And there verse 
54 and verse 55, what we have there, is now we see that God's action is seen to be the fulfillment of his covenant with Israel and in accordance with his promises. So what God is going to do is nothing new. It's a covenant that he made before that he's just fulfilling. And that's what Mary is singing here. And this points us to the very nature of God. Again, as we see, he has helped his servant Israel in the remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. God nature, God is a merciful God. He made the promise to Abraham out of his mercy. He is fulfilling it out of his mercy. He found, Mary found favor from the Lord out of God's mercy. As one author says, the God Mary praises is the covenant making God. The God who acts out of his own self-giving nature to embrace men and women in relationship. So God remembers and he acts. And this is the God of the Bible. This is the God who has seen Mary in her lower estate. This is the God whom Mary is singing. This is the God whom Mary is expressing the joy from her heart because of who this God is and what he has done. And we know that he has fulfilled his covenant to us through this child that Mary would give birth to, Jesus. Jesus is a proof that God has looked down upon his people. Jesus is the proof that God knows you by name. Jesus is the proof that God cares for you. Jesus is the proof that you are never alone in all that you go through. And I want us to remember this, this morning, whether we are going through some challenges of life, whether as a teenager you ask all those difficult questions, does anyone care or notice about me? Know that Jesus cares. Jesus notices you where you are. Every time you pray, he hears, he listens, he cares for you. Let us pray. Just spend a few seconds as you think about this Jesus uh, who cares for you, who has made you in your lower state, just as Mary sang, and who cares for you.
My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Lord, we want this to be the theme of our lives. As we go through life and all its challenges, we pray that we'll be able to sing like Mary, that our souls magnify you, and our spirit rejoice in you, the God of our salvation. Thank you that Jesus came to meet us in our low estate. Thank you that he came to rescue us from the bondage of sin. Thank you that he came to reconcile us to you and to make us your family, your children, which is a great privilege that we have. Lord, we pray that you really help us To live as people who belong to you. Not to care about what people will say about us when we put our trust in you. But to be willing to say, Lord, here we are, use us wherever you've placed us. Pray that this week will be a great week to all of us. That Lord, we will be those disciples like Mary who hear your word and holds your word in faith. Pray that your spirit will direct our lives and help us to live for you wherever you have placed us. And Lord, for this week, as we part our ways this morning, we pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with each one of us this morning, this day, this week we are starting until one will be with you. And all God's people said, Amen.